The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Thank you very much, guys. And I invite your attention this morning to Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 6, as we continue our our trek, albeit slow trek, through the book of Mark, as we look at what God has done in the early parts of his ministry through his son, Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 6 this morning. You know, and uh, next week, Brian Owens, Brian, I I don't know, yep, somewhere here, I think he's here, Uh, yep. Brian is there. Brian, you're going to be preaching next week. So, brother, uh, he's going to be ready to preach next week on the third mark of a healthy church. We've been doing that the second Sunday. Uh, Brian will be preaching on the gospel. That sounds so funny. Well, or isn't that what a church is supposed to do is preach the gospel? But it's how easy, how often, how sad that so many churches have taken the gospel to mean whatever they want it to mean to however they want it to be done. So next week, Brian's going to remind us what we just heard, that it's not just part of our sin, it's all of our sin, and it was nailed to the cross, and the wrath of God satisfied in Christ alone. Well, Mark chapter 6, as you get there, you know, uh, it is it is uh, spring cleaning for a lot of people. We were doing this at our house yesterday, and we love our neighbors, and I, I think I shared this last in the fall, but this here it is. A neighbor wrote a letter to another neighbor, and he said this. Are you ready? He said, Dear Zach, we've been neighbors for 10 long years. That was underlined three times, by the way. And he said, Each time you've borrowed my snowblower or my mower, you've returned them broken. But, Zach, you've never offered to repay me for those repairs. And I've missed a lot of sleep, too, listening to your blaring music at all times of the night and day. I really don't like Bach as it is. But every day I find remnants from your dog in my yard. Zach, rather than go on, because I'm not one to hold a grudge, I'm simply writing this note to let you know that your house is currently on fire. Signed, your loving neighbor, as it is. <laughs> uh, hopefully that doesn't happen to you, and hopefully you're, uh, you're, you're aware of those things. Sometimes we don't need to know where we are at because the storms are going to come no matter what, aren't they? They're going to be all around us. But I'm here to tell you, as we study a very familiar passage, that Jesus walks on the water and calms the storm, that no matter what storms you are facing, whether it's known to you or unknown to you, nothing is more powerful in your life than the moment-by-moment grace that God gives on a daily, not just a daily, a second, a nanosecond basis. And this is why the Bible reminds us in Psalm 57, verse 1, It says, in the shadow of your wings, O Lord, I take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Friends, we are not to fear the storms, whether that is our house literally on fire or we have the worst medical news or it's just day-to-day stuff. Because storm clouds bring water and water brings growth. And depending on your need, Jesus both calms the storm and he creates the storm but both show that he is a mighty and a merciful God, even though at times we say, Lord, can you just turn off the faucet for just a little bit? So how does the Lord take care of us in the storms of life? And most importantly, what does this say about his character? And how does this apply to us? Well, I'm here to tell you that God often has what some have called uncomfortable grace. 
And the big idea today, the kind of main thesis of our sermon is that God will place you where you haven't been before to, or tried to go to produce in you what you couldn't achieve on your own. If you're honest with yourself, if you look back over the storms of life, the very storms that you have dreaded the most have been the storms that God has used you to grow you, to make you more like Jesus, and to make you better fitted for heaven someday and as an ambassador here on this day. With great storms and with great winds, trees look as if they often might fall. But that's when they actually are more deeply rooted in that which holds them up. Friends, in the storms of life, as we will see today, Christ gives us peace. Not the subtraction of problems, as some would say, but the addition of inner calmness that only comes from his hand. And that's what I want to look at today. This story about Jesus walking on the water is so familiar to you. But I want to submit to you today, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about him. We're part of that story, but it's really all about Christ and who he is. So I want to look at six features this morning of a perfect Savior. I want you to see, you say, Darren, six features on a Sunday morning, you've doubled your sermon. Yeah, pretty much. But these are short, short points, I promise. We will look at Christ's perfect wisdom his perfect knowledge, his perfect timing, his perfect power, his perfect peace, and finally his perfect control. And what we find in this account is the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord over all the storms of life. No one is exempt from these storms. We don't get clear sailing as people. We each are appointed stormy seasons through which we must sail. And if you know this to be true, these storms in life are real. They are contrary to you. The waves are threatening. But if you are a Christian, this is your lot. Horatio Spofford, who wrote the song, uh, It Is Well With My Soul, you know that story. His wife and his kids perished in a terrible boating accident crossing the Atlantic Ocean in the late 1800s. But he said, It Is Well With My Soul. For some of you today, these will be financial thunderstorms. Or some of you, these will be family tempests, or marital monsoons, or relational squalls. But it's a loss of health and the approach of death. But the greatest storm that we all face is the one that awaits us on the last day. Final judgment, where the fury of God's wrath will be unleashed against all sinners who have not committed, repented, and trusted in Christ alone. A looming storm that shall howl throughout all the ages to come for those without Christ. Each and every one of us needs a Savior. There's no other way to heaven. Our religion can't save. Our good works can't save. Our ritual can't save. Our head knowledge can't save. Even Michael Phelps, the most decorated swimmer of all time, could not outswim the storms of life apart from the grace of God. Storms are too fierce. The waves are too strong. The shore is too distant. But there is one who walks on water. There is one who commands the storm, and there's one who stills the angry ways and bids them to cease. And praise God, that is his name is who? It's Jesus Christ. Will you join me in standing as we read our scripture this morning about Christ, the perfect Savior? All other ground is sinking sand, and we know that to be very true. Mark 6, 45 through, we're actually just going to go to verse 52 today, 45 through 52. From the English Standard Version, same as the pews, it says this. It says, immediately he made his way to his disciples, to get into the boat, to go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida. He dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, speaking of Jesus here, he went up on the mountain to pray. 
And when the evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And again, speaking of Jesus, he meant to pass by them, but verse 49 says, when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, don't be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. I pray if you get anything out of this this morning, it's not just a, a reminder of basic facts. You can have all the facts, but I pray you see God in a bigger way today. Because God is infinitely bigger than anything we can ask, think, and his ways are truly higher than ours. May this be challenging to us and glorifying to God most of all. We pray for this morning. Father, as we come before you, we look at a passage that uh, we often hear this time of year, Lord, and even in sports terms, that that team is walking on water, referring to how they're just, you know, they're just tearing it up. They're, they're just pulverizing every enemy. But, Father, we are reminded that apart from your grace, we are like Peter, who may have stepped a couple feet on the water in a different episode, but sank when his eyes went off you. Father, may our hearts this morning not lose focus in a common, regular story, but may your spirit stir within us fresh the, the need to see you as you are, high and lifted up, Father, as Isaiah did. Lord, give us grace this morning. Thank you for each one here. We pray for all these things and all the needs and all the things to your glory. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Well, I want you first off, as, as, as you see this episode, to see the perfect wisdom of our Lord. Because let's be honest, sometimes when we go through storms of life, we ask God, God, was this really the best plan? I mean, couldn't we have gone this way or done this or this? Or just could you have waited until after that thing was done? But notice right here as we see the perfect wisdom of our Lord in verse 45 that Mark says immediately. Now remember, that's his favorite word. Mark's all about go, 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 go. And immediately, immediately what? Well, last week we looked at the feeding of the 5,000. So it's on the same day after this happened, the feeding of the 5,000, that this is happening. And he says that he made his disciples get into the boat. If your translation doesn't have the, the word made, I think you probably, we better check that translation because it doesn't serve you well. Jesus compelled them. He made them. He didn't command them. This isn't an imperative in the Greek, but he constrained them to get into the boat. Why? I mean, Jesus knows what's coming Jesus, how heartless is it of you to put them in a storm? Why are you making them get into the boat? couple reasons. Number one, this is at the height of the popularity of Jesus' ministry. People are flocking to him. Remember, he just fed fifteen or 20,000 people. And in John 6, 15, after the feeding of the 5,000, it says those people wanted to make Jesus king. In their minds, as Jesus had taught them to pray, thy kingdom come, they want to make him king. The kingdom's here. They want to make him king because no doubt he can get rid of the Romans. He can establish the temple. And no doubt that what is in front of them is a massive scene. And they're ready to go coronate him, put him up on a pedestal, and get King Jesus in office. So that's reason number one he makes him get in the boat. But secondly, if the kingdom is coming, these disciples probably want some of the power, the prestige, and the popularity. If there's ever a moment to be in the sunshine, it's right now. If there was ever a time to be in his shadow, it was now. Because Jesus, according to his perfect, infinite wisdom, 
His ways are higher than ours, makes them get into the boat. Why? He does this because he says he wants them to go before him, it says there, to the other side. Jesus knew exactly what they needed. These disciples didn't like it because if they were Baptists, let's be honest, if they were Baptists, they would have set up a committee, they would have started a building fund, they would have put up the tent, and they would have said, this is where Jesus is at, this is where we're going to build our empire, right here. Jesus, just feed them some more, and we got this, man. We got the highest baptisms for the year, we got the best record-keeping for the year, but God's wisdom is greater than man's invention. Jesus was reading infinitely, omnisciently between the lines. He knew they couldn't handle the success. They weren't ready for it. If they remained there, they would have caved in to the desires of the people to make him king. And they would have squeezed out everything they could have to make it a ministry success. But Jesus, with his wisdom, knowing they couldn't handle this, gets them in the boat. And that's where we go. And this is another interesting thing. Come on, Jesus, you got the crowd here. You got the people. This is church plant revitalization 101. And what's he do? He dismisses the crowd. Not only does he send his disciples away, he gets the crowd out of there. Jesus, but we have large numbers. We must be successful. Already, Jesus sinlessly because he did the will of his father. But from the human standpoint, put up the tent. Get the air conditioning going. Feed these people. But even Jesus sends them away because they know, he knows, their hearts are not ready. And what does Jesus do? Verse 46, he gets up on the mountain and he goes to pray. Well, Jesus, this isn't a time to pray. You've got to preach some more, buddy. Come on. But it's an excellent place to pray because Jesus knows it's exactly what his father would do. He's praying. This is just a general word. It's an all-inclusive prayer, not petitions, just prayer. But friends, this is how Jesus operates in all of our lives. Conventional wisdom said he should have set up a church right there. That would have been the best church that ever happened. Amen? How many Baptists would have signed up for that? You know it's true. It's okay to laugh a little bit. We all would have done it. But Jesus conducts his ministry by a completely different criteria. It's a reminder to us today, as Amy puts this on the screen, that Jesus knows exactly what he's doing in all the plans of all our lives, doesn't he? But Jesus, you didn't consult me. Jesus, you didn't get the think tank over here. You didn't get the focus group over there. Though outward situations indicate that he would lead us in the most obvious direction, there are times in God's plan where he throws a monkey wrench in the situation and takes you a totally different path. But his ways remain only to himself. And friend, it requires great trust of you and me as, as family, as individuals. When God says, you're going this way, but God, I want to go this way. No, you're going this way. He made them get into the boat. Because he knew the lessons before them were greater than what they could get by making him a king. Secondly, I want you to see not only his perfect wisdom, but also his perfect knowledge. Look at verse 47. And it says, And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. See, it's not just enough to have perfect wisdom. You have to have the awareness of the knowledge that must be used to process those steps. I mean, how many of us have made decisions in life based upon the little information we had, and then it turned out to be crazy stuff? This is like the fourth week in a row I've referenced it, so you must, you've got to watch it, right? That, that's your pastoral recommendation. I shouldn't be alive. Uh, great old show on Discovery Channel. How many times these people who got lost in the wilderness, one lady, I don't know what she was thinking, she, she, she wanted to get to the village quicker five miles away, so she took off her 50-pound pack. 
Well, guess what? Her 50-pound pack had everything she needed to survive. And uh, by God's grace, she did. But you just look at that and say, no, don't do it. But that's why we need his knowledge. When the Lord directs us in his wisdom, he also provides the knowledge. Notice that key phrase, evening of the same day. That's the same day. What a day that was. You saw Jesus just creating more food, more food, more food, and now you're going to go out and go row for the night. I would be asleep at 5 o'clock if that were me. These days of ministry were packed with all sorts of needs, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, and all the gospel writers except Luke recorded this way. They were far away from land. Matthew 14 says they were a long distance from land. John said that they rowed about three or four miles. Well, that's the interesting thing. The, the, the lake all the way around is one or two miles across. So do you see what's happening? They are just basically rowing. The wind is blowing, and they're just rowing, just getting circumvented everywhere they go. But when they are the farthest away from human eyes, from the shore, at the point of their biggest need, Jesus is alone on land. He's the furthest away from them physically, but Jesus is alone on the mountain. And you notice there in verse 48, notice what it says. And he saw them, that they were m making headway. And I, I don't know what your translation says, but mine says painfully. They were making headway. Here is his perfect knowledge. It's darker than dark. It's not just physical, he saw, but supernatural. They're literally straining. They're, it, it, it's like uh, CrossFit for a lot of you people who do CrossFit in here. Or eating kale pizza like I had the experience last night at eight. It's torture. It's good, but it's there. And you're doing it. You're straining. And the wind was against them. They were being battered. John 6 says they were being stirred up like a, like a, a mixer would. And Jesus saw it all perfectly. And in their most difficult hour, nothing escaped their, his all-seeing eye. But their grasp, it certainly did. Friends, what a great, good reminder for your faith this morning that we are never in any situation in life that is beyond the all-seeing eyes of our almighty God. With all that you see, you still don't see what God sees. God is faithful. God sees. God knows. And in our most difficult situation, he sees us perfectly in every storm of life. Remember, it was Jesus who made them get in the boat. It was Jesus who sees them where he is. So why in the world doesn't he just come and solve it all? Well, that's why you need to see number three. Not only his wisdom, his knowledge, but thirdly, his timing. Look back at verse 48. We're going to break up verse 48 over the next couple of verses to make some points here. He saw that they were making headway painfully for the wind was against them, and about, it was about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea. It's that key phrase there, the fourth watch of the night. Some of you love this time. Some of you thrive on this time. 3 to 6 a.m., you look at that, and you're like, oh, my goodness, woo, that's it. Whether that means you stayed up for 24 hours, that means you got up at 3 a.m. Some of you love 3 to 6 a.m. because it's the most quiet time in your house. That is me. That's what we do at our house because at 5 a.m., all chaos ensues as we feed three little kids and all that comes with, with the blessings of that. This was the fourth watch. It wasn't between 6 and 9, 9 and midnight, midnight and 3. This was 3 to 6 a.m. They had been up all day ministering to thousands. They'd been rowing conceivably for hours. But this would mean that when the night is the darkest in the morning, 
just before the dawn. They've been out on the open sea maybe for nine hours or more. Because remember, Jesus sent them off right when evening came. They're rowing. I, you know, I've not been on a float trip in years, but I think going down an eight-mile stretch in the middle of August makes my arms tired. Do you know what I mean? you imagine rowing for nine hours against the wind? When they were most tired and most discouraged and easy to fall the prey, they begin to fear. But notice what it says here. It says, he came to them. Oh, perfect timing. He came to them. His timing is always perfect. Jesus waited for the darkest hour. He waited for the worst part of the storm. And the waves were the highest. Reminds you, doesn't it, of John 11 with Lazarus. You remember that story, don't you? Jesus was told about Lazarus and he was going to die. And Jesus just come now and, and get this done. But Jesus chose to wait until Lazarus died to show the greatest power that he had. The power over life and the power over death. Jesus always appears to us in his own time in the darkest part of the night. God doesn't work by our agenda, church. When the numbers and the records and the, the budgets and the, and the whatevers from a church perspective don't add up, don't despair, God knows. When your life doesn't add up the way it should, God knows. When you've prayed every prayer that last ounce out of you, God doesn't work on our timetable. There are times when God intentionally delays for the greater good in our lives. Daddy, can we stop at McDonald's and get French fries? No, you're going to go home and eat kale. You know sometimes how this works, humanly speaking, don't you? We want it now and we want it all. But God reminds us according to his perfect wisdom, according to his perfect knowledge, what comes to pass in our lives is at the point that Jesus draws nearest to them. I want to summarize this for you again. He waited until it was the darkest. He waited until the wind was the strongest. The waves were the highest. The disciples were physically weakest. That is when Jesus came to them. Jesus' timing is always perfect because no one is too weak. Many times our Lord delays coming to us until we are zapped of all our strength, till we are zapped of all our resources, till we are zapped of any plan we have. That is when he comes to us walking on the water. Perfect timing. While I was weak, yet I was strong, Paul said. Notice fourthly, we, he has perfect wisdom, perfect knowledge, perfect timing. But notice the last part of verse 48. He has perfect power. It says he was walking on the sea. Now this is kind of dramatic. You know, uh, I, there was a story, I don't know if it's still alive. Many of you have been to Israel, Patricia or others who've been to Israel, you might know, uh, okay, yep, all the family. You, you guys might remember this. They have a thing where you can walk on the water. There's like, a, like a, something in Israel, like they put a bridge just under the water and you can walk on it. It's not quite what Jesus did. This is literally the Son of God, fully incarnate, fully man, 100% of each, walking on the sea. It's really dramatic. He's walking on the water. Did this really happen, Pastor? Yes, it really happened. Why would they have any reason to lie about this? With a note of triumph, there's supreme authority, there's absolute sovereignty. He came with all power over the seas and the storms. He didn't come swimming. Notice it didn't say he came doggy paddling. He came walking. Peripateo. He didn't come saying we're all on the same level. He didn't come. He came as the one and only Savior. He came to what is about to go over your head is now under my feet. Don't miss that. 
This is in the present tense, by the way. That's important because he's basically walking from wave to wave to wave. I don't even survive in the wave pool of oceans of fun. It's been years. He is unhindered by all the wind and the waves. There is no storm that is not under the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ. Please note that. He draws near to his disciples when they find themselves in the watch of the night. When it appears there's no help, he comes walking to us. His timing is perfect and there's no barrier. It is the absolute sovereignty of God working right in their midst. Psalm 8.6 reminds us that you make him to rule over the works of your hands and you've put all things under your or under his feet. Ephesians 1.20, the great chapter on sovereignty of God and salvation, says that God raised him, that's Christ, from the dead, far above all rule and authority and dominion, and every name to be named, not only in this age, but he's put all things in subjection under his feet. It's not just the angry ways, folks, that are under his subjection. Every situation, every trial of life, they're all under his feet. Though you may fear your nose won't stay above water, if you call out to him, he will rescue you and he will save you. And if you're a Christian, isn't that the picture of the gospel? When you were drowning, when it seemed as there was no hope, Christ reached out. There's no power greater than his power. There's no storm that can subside his sovereignty. There's no wind or waves that can diminish his coming to us in the storms of life. This is our perfect God. How many, and so many, have tried to do it all on their own? How many churches have tried to conjure up decisions for Jesus to make themselves look good on paper, to make themselves the darling of the eyes of other churches, only to be found out that things weren't so good on the inside? It's like an apple that's nice and shiny on the outside, but when you get to the inside, it's just full of rotten worms that kind of shake out. It's nasty. Friends, all of us are that way. We all put on a show. We all say things. We all want to do things in our own strength. But it's only those who are willing to say, Lord, I cannot do this. Only you can, who are those that shine the brightest in a dark world. Perfect wisdom, perfect knowledge, perfect timing, perfect power. And I want you to notice, fifthly, his perfect peace. Look at verse 49. It says, but when they, they being, of course, the twelve disciples, saw him walking on the sea... They thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. And we'll stop right there. He comes to speak this Jesus peace to us and encourage us as we find ourselves with the spray of angry waves in our face. And notice that it says, uh, even just a, a, a little bit up there, that, that he intended to pass them by. I don't want to miss this phrase here in verse 49. He intended to pass them by. What does that mean? I mean, it's kind of like when you, you know, you know how this is. Uh, when there's someone you don't really want to talk to, you kind of avoid them. You're like, hey, 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 how you doing over there? How you doing over there? And you do anything. Oh, or the, the 21st century version. Hey, let me check the sports scores I've seen five times in the last five minutes, you know. Or the weather. Oh, man, what's the weather going to do just so that person can pass you by? Is that what Jesus is doing here? In, in fact, no. He's intending to give the appearance to pass them by so there may be a greater desperation within their hearts to call out to him. Do you see that? He's doing as many parents often do of, uh, of just saying, look, if you want to throw a fit, I'm out the door. See ya. Have, find an Uber ride home. Have fun. That's what he's doing. Because he knows until they are that desperate, 
with all perfect wisdom, with all perfect knowledge, with all perfect power and timing, they are, have to come to the end of themselves before they are ready to receive the help that only he can give. That gives the appearance to pass by them as which to make them panic. It says, but when they saw him, at this point they still don't really recognize him. Jesus isn't doing some ninja divine thing here. But, but when they saw him, all they see is his form. Remember, it's stormy outside. There's waves. It's, that's just, whoa, who's, what is that, a ghost? I don't know. But phantom is literally the Greek word, and they cried out to him. They screamed in terror. These grown men, as all of us would. The dark night is going from bad to worse. Not only are we dealing with the waves, we're tired, we're exhausted, we're, are we going to live? But now there's this thing out there. Better to drown alone than be terrified by this ghost. For they all saw him, it says, and were terrified. It's a state of panic. There's no hope. But don't you love what verse 50 says? The deepest of deeps. Look back at verse 50. They were terrified, but there's Mark's favorite word. But what? Immediately. But immediately he spoke to them. Our Lord is not intending to have them come through some haunted house of terror to come to him. But only he is able to deliver them. He spoke so they could hear him. They knew that voice. They understood that voice. They knew like a sheep to a shepherd, they recognized that voice. And notice that Jesus says three things here. I want you to take note of this. First, he tells them to take heart. Or some translations say, take courage. Again, they had become filled with fear, so the first thing he tells them is, guys, don't worry, it's okay, I got this. And he reminds them, secondly, he says, it is I. The only reason they can take courage is if they had anyone else, they would have no help or no hope. But the entirety of their courage is based upon the second statement. When it is I who appears to you. It is the I am. It's the one who cast all the worlds and created everything. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. Literally, not over millions of years, but in six literal days. Boom, 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 boom is the one who Moses said, who shall I say is sending me? And what did he say? He said, tell them the I am has sent you. Ego e me. The very master chose you and guided you step by step. He said, don't be afraid. Number three. Don't you love Hebrews 13.5? He will never leave us nor forsake us. I have, in the Greek, it's literally, he will never, never, never leave you and nor, nor, nor forsake you. Because we need to be reminded that many times. He speaks perfect peace to these troubled souls. And friends, that is a great reminder to us, as you'll see, and Amy will put this up. But anxieties abound when we try to play God. And God's peace abounds when we realize we're not God and we rest in God. What do you need to hear today? What are you facing? You need to hear, take courage, it is I, don't fear. That's what you need to hear. That's what all of us need to hear. That's what our church needs to hear. That's what our, 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 our people who are going crazy, well, this nation is going, you know, going down the toilet fast, Pastor. It might be going down the toilet, but guess what? Our God isn't going down the toilet. He holds the, 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 the power to all that stuff, and he will raise us up as we need to be raised up. He will lower us as we need to be lowered, and he'll bring it all to completion for his glory, for his purposes, for his plan. But guess what? Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. In what ways do you need to receive that peace and only he can speak to your troubled heart? Philippians 4 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, 
which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul was writing that to a couple of ladies, Sincti and uh, Eutychus, who were fighting, and that's about unity, but it applies principally across the board. If you are facing hard times, don't be anxious, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, take it to God. Isn't that what Jesus did? He wasn't worried about the storm. He sent him away. My father's got this. No big deal. And it wasn't. Finally and lastly, I want you to see his perfect control. I was joking with the guys in the prayer meeting before. This, this is just a picture. Watch this in verse, uh, uh, just, just watch this. Verse 51. And, and Jesus got into the boat with them. Just stop right there. You know, have you ever watched those Navy SEALs guys training on the Discovery Channel before? And they're like riding along the side of the boat. And they're getting ready to jump out and do some maneuver that will break all of our backs but theirs. And Jesus is calmly, nonchalantly, as only Jesus could do. He just gets into the boat. It doesn't say he tripped into the boat. It doesn't say he pile-drived into the boat. He just got into the boat. What control that is. As if the boat got lifted up out of the water. We don't know. The, uh, he just struts. He just steps into the boat. No more secure place to be all the world than have Jesus in the boat with you. And remember, Jesus isn't your co-pilot. If anything, you're, you're asleep and dead in the back, and he's driving for you. That's a picture of the gospel. Safer to be in the angry waves in the boat with Jesus than anywhere else. And it's immediately... Notice what this says. He got into the boat with them, and it doesn't say five minutes later, five seconds. As soon as he got in the boat, what happened? The wind ceased. It's not a random thing. Remember, it had been just a couple chapters ago that Jesus calmed the storm, Mark 4. Without a raised hand or a word, it just becomes still as glass. But the far greater miracle is the calmness that incurred inside their hearts. Notice what it says here. They were astonished. They were utterly amazed, perhaps, they were thrown into this. The, the, the very one who had fed the 5,000 has now just stopped it again. I don't know about you. I don't know what I would say. Did you have fun with that with us, Jesus? <laughs> is it done? This teacher and master who opened the truth of the kingdom of heaven is the very one who speaks and calms the storm. It's all under his feet. And we'll, we'll close with this, but notice verse 52. Mark makes a very important note here. Not only are they amazed, but they did not understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand about the lows. Well, Mark, why are you putting that in here? I mean, we're talking about a storm, and then you're going back 12 hours before in the day about the, the bread. So they were so caught up in the hoopla of everything. It had not dawned on their shallow minds the total sovereignty of God. Not only does he make the food, but he calms the storms. Look, we all start out in the preschool of faith, don't we? But over time, we apply that truth by personal experience and God's absolute sovereignty in every situation. We learn to trust more the more God puts us through the ringer. Have you felt that in your Christian life? Their hearts were hardened. Not hardened in believing that Jesus wasn't the Savior. Judas was. He was uh, ordained not to believe. We've looked at that before. But they were slow to grasp the most obvious meaning. Friend, everything you cannot control is not out of control. It's under the wisest control, and that is God's. I don't want any of us to be like this. No matter how I present this, I, I, I cannot break through to your heart today. I could stir you up with stories, could stir you up with antecedents, but I cannot break through to your heart apart from the ministry of the Holy Spirit delivering down to the depths of your soul. 
These men had walked and seen the miracles from the wine to the bread to the, the healings to everything to this point, but yet they were more concerned about the loaves than the fact that the water just stopped roaring around him. We never do that, do we? Jesus, I don't understand why you put me through this instead of just saying, okay, Lord, thank you that the water stopped and I'm not going to drown today. Friends, the only way we can have that breakthrough in our hearts is when we ask God, Lord, I don't know why I'm in this storm, but I pray that I learn through it because you are perfect in all your ways and I need to know that. It matters not what the clothing hymn we may sing or song it is. It is God himself who has to instill within your heart the grace to see and not get hardened when times like this come. That Jesus walks on water, that he has authority, that he draws you near in your greatest time of need, that is something only Christ can teach you, friend. It is I, take courage, don't be afraid. I'm with you in all the ramifications of whatever that means. May the Lord allow us to hear what has been so hard for them to grasp. May we see those very things. Friends, you may find yourself in a very temporal storm today. However big or small, every ship is going to go down, but only one Savior walks on the water. Call upon Him. Trust in Him. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus, you need to repent and believe the gospel. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but will have eternal and everlasting life. Church, I don't promise that our days ahead are going to be easy. We're looking at things as we talk through on the four Sunday nights and we preach to Brian. We're praying for you, brother. Looking forward to it. You get a baptism and a sermon all within one month. That's a pretty good experience, brother. Uh, but you pray for our church because there are going to be times we may look at and say, Lord, what are you doing? Where are you taking us? But as long as he's with us in the boat, so to speak, and he is, we have nothing to fear. And that goes for your life as well. We pray with him this morning.